Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend. A podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Aminatu So. <laughs> and I'm Anne Friedman. This week on Call Your Girlfriend, we'll be discussing men and housework, award shows and heels, the racial politics of emoji, the case for Soylent or not-so-case for Soylent, rich ladies on the Upper East Side, the amazing story of Sandra Bem, a Shine Theory update, and obviously menstruations. What's going on? Uh, <laughs> not much, not much. Busy, busy, busy week. Um, yeah. I went to RuPaul's Drag Conference last weekend. Oh my which, god, tell me everything. I mean, I know I texted you when I had eyes on Latrice because there was like a 20 people deep line around her on all sides, but she looked incredible. And I don't know. I mean, it was just kind of great to to stroll among so much glitter and the highest hair for a couple of hours i didn't go the whole time i also stayed for rue's keynote which what, featured featured a disproportionate number of references to jiggly caliente <laughs> um but but was was very inspirational he he there was a lot of elaboration on if you can't love yourself how the hell are you gonna love someone else so oh man that was great. His sisters were there, which was also the best. That just, that makes me, this takes me back to, like, DC days, like, introducing you to the show, how far you have come. I'm very pleased. This is perfect. It was, I was so happy there. And then I went and had tacos with our good friend Jorge. And that was, it was my weekend. It was the best. That's so crazy. Wait, so tell me about this conference. They were, like, was there a pageant? Were there panels? Like, can you tell me like a sample panel? Like what? Like I'm like my mind is blown there was, right now. There was a panel about women in drag. You know, people who live kind of day to day lives as women and their interest in drag, and that I was interested in, but conflicted with my brunching plans on Saturday. Sorry. Um, there was also. Oh wait, these are like civilians. I assume that like only the Drag Race contestants. Were well, so panelists. most of the panelists were also former Drag Race contestants, and th- there were some wow. practical panels. It was like you know padding panels and like contouring panels and things like that, um, <laughs> for sure. Like basically, like we're on stage, going to show you how to cut apart sofa cushions and like pad your ass. Did not attend the practical skills panels because the floor, which was like people, half sort of people selling makeup brushes and fan merch for various queens, and was half massive autograph lines for mostly ex-drag race contestants. There was probably in attendance maybe 20% of the people there were in drag, Um, but mostly it was just like super fans. (laughs) It was great. Oh my god. It was great. That's ugh, I'm so happy you got to experience that. That's crazy. Next time we should at least have a booth or something. I know. We should definitely have a booth. Yeah. Uh okay, we'll workshop it. That's crazy. Yeah, no, your weekend way more exciting than mine. I'm just like 
drowning in life and work and I'm using all of my free time to catch up on TV that I've missed. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's been very weird. I rewatched all of the fall, which if you don't know, is this like BBC amazing TV show with what's her name from X-Files. Jillian Anderson. And yes, Jillian Anderson is this like beautiful British police constable lady. (laughs) who gets called to Northern Ireland to solve this, like, spate of um, serial murders done by Jamie Dornan of, I want to say the fall fame, but, you know, for most Americans, it's Fifty Shades. (laughs) (laughs) And it was amazing watching the fall after Fifty Shades, just, like, rewatching it and realizing, oh, yeah, no, this guy, like, you're actually really good at your job. Fifty Shades, like, sucks. Like, don't go back for the sequel. (laughs) Wait, so they're they're already making yep. a sequel. I should have known this. I mean, obviously, they're going to make a sequel. Okay. Like, you know, this is the kind of stuff that they did, like, don't let die. Yeah. Um, also, it's three books, remember? So they have to make three movies. <sighs> yeah. I guess works. I assume that they maybe didn't have to make all three, but apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Please. Uh, that stuff was started off as Twilight fan fiction. Of course, they're going to make right. all three. But, you know, yeah, no, it was crazy. It's like I was rewatching The Fall and just was reminded of what a, f- like, completely feminist TV show it is. Just, it's just insane. Like, Gillian Anderson's character has a one-night stand with um, this really hot, like, Northern Irish police. Dude, all of the police people are hot. <laughs> it's, like, very disconcerting. <laughs> like, all of the dudes. She has this one-night stand with this police, with this policeman, and, and then he, um, spoiler, he dies, like, immediately after... <laughs> And everybody tries to shame her for it, and she's just not having it. She's just like, I don't know what you're talking about. But actually, the best part of it is that when he's leaving her hotel room, she totally, like, picks him up. When he leaves her hotel room, he's like, could I have your number? She's like, sure. And then, like, proceeds to send her a selfie of his, like, naked upper torso, and she's so annoyed by it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, like, spoiling so much, but it's so perfect. And then he, like, stops by her desk and he's like, why did you give me your number if you're not going to respond to me? And she's like, I just thought you were a different kind of person. And I was like, yes, thank Correct. you. You know, like, meanwhile, there's a serial murderer. I would still recommend watching it. It's only six episodes and it's not a whodunit. You already know who the serial killer uh, is. That, strong selling points. Only six episodes and not oh, yeah, a no, whodunit. So, so refreshing. Strong. No, this is not a who killed Rosie Larson. This is, <laughs> you already know what's going on here. Excellent. I'm like, name a more feminist TV show, Impossible. Jillian Anderson is really good at picking roles, I feel. Yeah, no, she's like, she's got it on lock. And she's, mm-hmm. yeah, total babe. You know she's writing a book? No. What is her yeah, book about? It's about being a boss lady. Celebrities can't just write memoirs anymore. They have to be advice books. This is amazing. Okay. Thank you, Jillian Anderson, for that. Uh, men and housework. I, I assume, well, I don't assume, I know that you are referring to this thing in 
New York Magazine that uh, written by John Chait. LOL, so many John Chait feelings. About <laughs> <laughs> <Well>, um, <laughs> I can't believe we, it's been like a, it's been this long since we've talked about John Chait on the podcast. It's been a while. I'm I'm because he's of usually us. like the easiest like he's like the easiest button to push with me. Yeah, like it's a it's a guaranteed ugh eye roll. <laughs> I know. Well, okay, I roll um, to the subject line. Social science proves men don't want housework to be done by anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I know. Men are just, men are, ugh, I just, I I can't. Well, housework is the thing, honestly, for me, that will drive me to be like a gender warrior. Well, so he's arguing this, that there is research that says women who live alone do more housework than men who dip, who live alone. And that's sort of used as a justification for his thesis, which is that men are just generally more slovenly than women and would prefer to live in their own filth. And the reason why housework is a point of contention in heterosexual couples is that women have standards um, that are much higher than men's when it comes to the cleanliness of their homes. Did I get that right? <laughs> yes, you got that absolutely right. Also, you know, just for reference, this argument like pops up like every year. Oh, it's a in... perennial. It's just, yeah, it's like a couple of years ago in the New York Times on that Sunday review, that article, The Case for Filth. Like, I still dream about it because I'm so, I was so angry. <laughs> yeah. About a man talking about this. On one hand, I guess it's, you know, like, I guess it's true. It's like men just have lower standards of cleanliness than... (laughs) Most men have lower standards of cleanliness than women. Because I hate it that they always say that it's the women that have the high standards. And I'm like, I don't know, man. Maybe this is, like, this is what the baseline should be. Right. Like, I don't think my standards are very high. It's just, like, I don't want to, like, step off the side of my couch and put my foot into a bowl crusted with dried oatmeal or something. (laughs) Like, I would just, I just, like, I want my house to be generally bug-free, and I want to be able to, like, find my keys and, like, maybe a specific shirt I'm looking for. I don't feel like the bar is, like, so high that, like, I need to be able to eat a meal off of my kitchen sink or something. Yeah, you know, also, Amanda Marcotte is somebody who's been writing about, like, gender and housework for, like, as long as I have been a baby feminist. And has, like, really smart things to say about this. And she really talks about, like, you know, rejecting this notion that bachelors have been historically filthy. Uh, And name checks all of these movies, like The Graduate and Breakfast at Tiffany's. Also, like, if you read all of Victorian fiction, dudes are, like, generally clean because they have servants. I think that the burden that's actually shifted is everybody wants it to be clean. Not everybody wants to participate in the cleaning. I think that's so true. And Amanda has also written, I don't know if it's this time around that she's made this argument, but she I know she has written before about the social pressure on women both when they're living with a man and when they're living alone to keep their home clean for appearances. Like if you walk into a home with a heterosexual couple and it's filthy, no one looks at the dude and is like, why aren't you keeping it clean? Like, no, absolutely. Right. Like the pressure, the pressure is like more pronounced on women to keep a clean household than it is on men. That's, I think that's something that we can all agree on. The argument is just that, like, you know, all of these, like, man children are basically allowed to, like, wallow in their dirt, and there's no consequences for them. And then they're going to marry some, like, smart ingenue who comes up and cleans up after them. Right. 
I also am kind of curious about how these studies break down what it means to spend time on your home because I'm sort of like, okay, like if I am like working on my herb garden, I don't really work on it, but let's say I spent time on it. (laughs) Like, is that time that counts toward keeping a home? And like, that's something that women are more likely to do. And that skews the numbers as well. I'm, I'm sort of also skeptical of like the, like how, what this actually means practically when they say like time spent keeping your house. Yeah, I I wonder. Maybe we'll do our own study. Oh my god, yes. Would you be able to say how many hours you spend on your home or housework? Like, is that a number you could, like, easily come by? Like, I, I would struggle. I mean, I, I would struggle, definitely. But also, um, <laughs> I do the Martha Stewart, like, if you do these, like, seven things every day, your house will not get out of control. Like, technique. So, you know... So I would say that I don't, I have spent a considerable amount of time on, you know, like on my housework and on my home, but at this point it's also a routine. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I also think that when, this is sort of what I was getting at with like specifically what, what did those numbers mean? Because like really all I read in this argument a lot is like John Chait is a pretty sloppy dude who's friends with other sloppy dudes. And, and like that, that very much informs his point of view on this. Whereas like, when I think of a lot of the men that I know, like my brother among them, like super, super clean, like my brother's bedroom was always like everything at like 90 degree angles and like not a not an item on the floor. You know, there is a range for for both men and women, I think, definitely. And it's just so easy to superimpose your own frustrations with a partner who hasn't cleaned up or your own like we wouldn't fight about this if you just didn't care as much attitude I mean no totally I was raised in a household where like the girls were expected to do a lot of the cleaning like we we had maids but the maids like didn't work for us Mm -hmm. so we had to do all of our you know like I had to make my bed every day I had to clean blah blah like things that I was really resentful of because like my brother was not my parents didn't expect my brother to do that and then fast forward, you know, into adulthood, they've basically, like, raised somebody who's incapable of taking care of himself. But, or somebody who realized, like, later in life that he should have learned how to do, like, you know, I don't know, say, laundry, like, cook, do your bed, or whatever. But um, my brother's apartment is completely spotless, because <laughs> he. I was talking to him the other day, and he was telling me about his relationship with his maid. And I was so impressed, because he's, like, very early 20s. And has just decided that, like, housework is something that's, like, important for presentation in his home. And he's hired somebody to do this. And I was like, this is this is a lot more advanced than I would have assumed yeah. for somebody who was, like, raised in his situation. But also, like, I was I was very impressed. He, him and his Jamaican maid are homies. I like it. Uh, respect to that. Because, like, at least it's, you know, it's still taking ownership of the situation. You know what I mean? Like, him saying, I'm going to pay someone else to do the cleaning is still him saying, recognizing this place needs to be cleaned to a certain standard. And I feel like that's really the heart of this battle. No, totally. And his apartment is spotless. Like, I was really, I was very impressed. I was like, yes, you are definitely related to me. Hallelujah. (laughs) I love that. Um, Ugh, John Chait. Okay. (laughs) What else? Next, next, next on our agenda. Wait, um, oh yeah, you were telling me about women being told what to wear. (laughs) I was. And well, how did this come up? I think this is pretty recently. When was Khan? 
happening. It's happening right now. Anyway, uh, women in flats were told that they can could not walk the red carpet. Like, I know, which is like, lol. Like, just so. This is the kind of misogyny that makes me laugh. <laughs> Tell me why. <laughs> Because it's like, hi, if you, you know, it's like some man's idea of like, hi, you're not fuckable if you don't wear high heels. You're not glamorous enough for this red carpet. And I'm like, do you know what these women have to do all day? Also, if you see where Khan is, like the steps that they have to go through and all the walking that happens, you want to be wearing flats. I mean. Also, just this idea that like flats are not appropriate um, women's like shoe wear is something that I've encountered a lot professionally. Where people will always say, like, oh, you're not put together if you're not wearing a heel. And I'm like, I don't know. I feel very comfortable in my, um, in my like, flat right now. I mean, the range of time, I read, I read a statistic that, like, the range of time the average woman can wear the average heel. And I don't know what exact heel height that was. But without experiencing pain is 34 minutes. So, <laughs> so like, if you are on your feet for more than 34 minutes in heels, you are in pain. So, basically, Khan is like... We would like all women to experience pain in order to be associated with our event. I know it's so it's so crazy. I personally have not worn heels since like maybe two thousand eight. Like I have not worn a heel. I wear like some boots that are a little tall, but I wouldn't count those as a heel because they're chunky. Um, maybe like one platform. I'm one hundred percent like always wear flat shoes. And I think it's ridiculous, like, whenever people tell me that, like, I don't look put together if I'm not wearing a heel. I will also say this as someone who wears almost exclusively flats as well, that it can be hard to find shoes that are, like, nice and that, like, look right with a more formal outfit that are flat. Like, I think a lot of flats are sort of, like, designed to the expectation that they're not to be worn dressed up. Which is not to say you can't find really expensive dressy flats. I know you can. But I have struggled. I know. I'm like, you want me to give you a rundown? <laughs> no, but I, like, I totally hear that. They're not, like, a gla- like, you know, they're not meant to be a glamorous right. or going out shoe. And I think that also, like, you and I have the advantage of, like, being taller. Yep. And... So obviously, like, not that hard of a choice to make. But also, I don't know, man. Like, I see women in heels walking, like, especially when I lived in New York, like, running around New York City. And, like, my mind was blown. I don't know how they do it. I read some article about Sarah Jessica Parker needing, like, a special foot intervention because of all her time spent wearing heels. Like, she had, like, grown a new layer of skin on the pad of her feet and needed, like, I know, horror story stuff. Also, I I just can't walk in a heel. I don't know what happened. I just, like, cannot. Like, there's something wrong with my body. I can't do it. I can't either. And I thought about, actually, when I was at DragCon this weekend, I was like, I wonder if any of these queens would teach me how to walk in heels, just as an exercise. Like, I'm not really going to take up wearing them, but I'm I'm curious as to have someone with a body my size teach me to walk in heels. <laughs> no, seriously. So this weekend on the Kardashians, there was, like, a two-part, like, uh, brew tells his story that was the companion to the Diane Sawyer story and right at the beginning Chloe brings him these like four five six inch like high heels and that's all I can think about I was like man even Bruiser can wear heels better than me like I like I'm like literally I can't but maybe he's been practicing is it sort of like other things where you have to start at like two inches and then work your way up like I mean I guess so but you know what it is I realize that like for me is that 
there are some things that I'm really strong about and there's things that I'm really wimpy about and foot pain is something I'm very wimpy about. Yeah. I just decided a long time ago that's not a part of my body I'm okay feeling uncomfortable with. Yeah, it is true though. Like I definitely I, I don't know where I would come down on this question if if I were a lot shorter and I felt like, for example, to get the men I worked with to look me in the eye, I had to wear heels or something like that. There are definitely reasons other than vanity that women that women wear heels. You know? No, it's true. <laughs> I lived with this woman who was like very tiny, love her forever. But like, you know, it's like I would see her transformation from like you know, just like coming from the gym, like wearing shorts. She was very much like a in the Drake song, like <laughs> no makeup hair back situation and watch her like glam it up. And the last touch was always the heels. And, you know, like watching her go from like five nothing to like five four or five five was like very beautiful. Uh, standards. I know standards are the, they're like the actual worst, but also again, like I'm really wimpy about foot pain. So how did Khan justify this decision? Were they like flats aren't formal wear? How did they say, like this is what I didn't read? They like asked the women not to walk the carpet, and like one of them was like the wife of a director, and so it wasn't like any actress because like the actresses obviously have to wear mm-hmm. heels, right? no publicist worth their salt is going to let their actress like go out there without heels. That's like part of their uniform. And they were just like, you cannot be a part of this, of like taking pictures and and walking. Like you can meet your person at the other end of it. Oof. Wow. Which is crazy. You know? And then they're like, we don't And obviously now like everybody's denying it. And it's like, what are you talking about? Um, But also this reminds me of like certain gay bars. Um, in DC that would not let women in because they were like women wear heels that's and I I just I remember this like very clearly because I was never in heels and but I would hear them like say it to the other lady patrons all the time and I was like this is also sexist well I thought that was just their personal stand against bachelorette parties showing up at the gay bar if they don't allow heels then you can't have like that whole group of women dressed in their like going out wear invading yeah, the totally. gay totally. I mean yeah but that's like you can't like refuse service to people. I mean that's you can't but you can like set a dress code I guess. I mean, then set a dress code. Don't say, you know what I mean? Like saying no high heels is like you basically saying like you don't want women in your in your establishment. And then they would always say they're like, it scratches the floors. And I'm like, have you seen this place? There is like <laughs> fucking like, like sugary drinks on the floor. I, right. It's the, yeah, it's just, that's not cool. Somebody should take that to the Supreme Court. <laughs> it's like the next legally blonde like case it is such a legally blonde three (laughs) sort of case I have this question that I've been meaning to ask you because it's something that happens when my new emoji keyboard pops up, which is that as a white person, I am ex- as excited as everyone that there are like many new racial options for sort of some of the hand and face emoji. Not all, not every single one, but a good range. So and I want to use them like I didn't. Obviously, I was someone who was not happy with the default, all of them being white. 
But then I felt, especially when I'm texting another white person, is it weird for me to text, like, brown hands clapping? Is that a weird thing? Wow, like, that's like white people weirdness. Yeah. Inter white people weirdness. Dude, for sure. Man. I don't feel as weird about it when I'm texting my friends who aren't white for whatever reason. Like, because I don't know. I don't know why. But like. Well, I'm going to say for one, like, welcome to our world where the default was always one thing and you're like trying to make a new default. Totally. Yeah, I guess it's weird for you. I personally, like, all of, I just like defaulted to the darkest emoji now. I changed it on everything. But every once in a while, if I am talking about a white person, I will change the emoji to white. I'm thinking about the grandma specifically. Mm, yeah. I mean, there are contexts where the emoji is explicitly meant to refer to a person. I will adjust it according to the person. But I'm talking more the general, like mostly the hands, actually. Like, I kind of just pick one at random. I don't, like, I've used every single one in the rainbow of praying hands. Yeah, this is, you know, this is really weird because, like, I live in a world where, like, there was always ever one default like i never you know well i mean i live in the same world where there was one default and it's like i know but you but you are the default. right that's the like that's the difference no and i'm not um, saying i want to go back to that world at all i'm just sort of saying that like i think that the politics too of like using like is the clapping hand meant to represent me is that what i mean when i send a clapping hand i mean i don't think so i think i mean so I guess what I was trying to get at earlier is that it is weird because it's an obvious change that is happening in like real time as opposed to like being born into the, you know, the, the default world that we have. But I don't think that it should be weird. I get that it is weird, but I don't think that it should be because, you know, it's like, who cares? I don't know. I mean, it's I I it's something that I think about. It's not like I'm losing sleep over which emoji to send, but it's definitely something I think about. Oh my about. god, Anne, are you losing sleep over which emoji to send? Just checking. <laughs> yeah. I don't mean to say that I think that there is like a right like or wrong thing. Like and one reason it's interesting is because it comes down to me at least for questions of two questions of how you use emoji. The the sort of like pictorial language of emoji like i said like does this represent me or am i just sending a feeling and therefore it you know i don't need to think so much about it i think it's an absolutely fascinating conversation i think that it's fascinating i would be curious to hear what like other white people think about this right i just basically what i'm saying is that i want to be a fly on the wall of white people having this conversation because one i have noticed that like for me with most of my like friends that are not white like the emojis have just gotten darker, like period. I I will never I will not see a white emoji unless it's like specifically referring to a person. Yeah. And I, also it's weird too because, you know, on the keyboard the the default one is supposed to be that weird yellow, like super yellow tone. Right. Which makes like no sense. Also I'm really upset that they've removed the like the radiating glory of God from the prayer hands. But that's a conversation for another time. <laughs> I asked a friend about this, actually, who is not white, but she said that she has noticed that mostly her friends of all races tend to text her with the default yellow. Like, she was like, I still see that, like, weird neon yellow way more often than I see any of the other options. Do you think those people just don't know how to change the emoji? I think that's possible. <laughs> I mean, very possible. Because, yeah, that yellow is so weird. It's very, it's very annoying. The Simpsons default. 
Okay, tell me as you tell as you you and other white people discuss this, please. Okay, back I in. will. I, my homework is to discuss this with other white people. Every time you see a white person, just like bring it up. Be like, what color? Oh my god, no! I'm not even gonna bring it up. I'm gonna be like, can I see your most recent emoji? Because that doesn't lie, man. If your most recent emoji is like people, though, that's weird. But don't I guess the hands? The hands. hands. It's all about the hands. The people are never in my most recent. It's all hands. Yeah, for me, it's like things that need to be in your most recent. If we're gonna be friends, are 100 the fire, clapping hands, maybe the horse, everything else up for debate. What else? What else is on our agenda? Soylent. Do you want to talk about oh my Soylent? God. Not really, but also yes. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> here's my definition of Soylent. Soylent is a f- like a food <laughs> that is basically garbage that's made by people who are like, I'm too busy for life. So I have to drink this like soy nasty drink. It's like soy and yeast, right? And like... Yeah, it's... Yeah, that's basically what it is. And it's like literally people... <laughs> I had a coworker who like did Soylent and I was like, why do you do this? And he's like, because I'm busy coding and doing other stuff. And I was like, you're crazy. There's literally food everywhere we turn where we work. This is madness. So this is people who don't respect themselves enough to eat solid foods. Well, I guess so. So <laughs> the the reason the reason we're talking about this is because Dylan Matthews over at Vox wrote this thing about how um he has been like using soylent in his life and it's like very comprehensive. The article starts with I hate food. So long story short, he's a really picky eater. He eats, like, a tiny selection of food, like, just pizza and the Sofritas burrito at Chipotle. That's, like, the two things that, like, make up his life. He, like, has this whole rant about, like, how eating is just, like, takes up too much time and cooking is stupid and, you know, he's just, There's this whole analogy where he's, like, if if we spent as much time talking about defecating as we spend talking about eating, blah, 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 as if these things are remotely comparable... Exactly. No, right? Like, trust me, we're going to get to the boy wonder analysis of this garbage (laughs) (laughs) very soon. So he writes this whole, like, rant about this. And then, so, and then why he's, like, decided to do this, like, liquid food replacement. Here's the deal. He can't even Soylent right. Like, there's three things that go into Soylent. Soylent, oil, and water. That's it. You don't have to have, like, a fancy, like, anything. And... He, like, didn't have the right oil, so he couldn't, like, do it right the first time. I'm like, who doesn't have canola oil in their house? Or who's going to, like, give up food who, like, doesn't have the three things that you need to do it? But the most amazing part is when he realizes that, like, eating food is also, like, a social <laughs> it's like a social activity. It's like, I give up food, and then I realize that other people eat food, and I sometimes want to talk to other people. Oh, my God. <laughs> So yeah, they're just basically at a point where he's like, you know, at like two Soylent meals a day and, you know, sometimes the office will bring like free food and he's like, man, what am I going to do? In Silicon Valley, it's definitely like a thing that is happening. I've met a lot of people who are on it, who talk about it. 
people generally who are on any kind of soy supplements will talk to you about their poop like a lot so it's very it's just like very problematic maybe it's just an sometimes. excuse for people who get off on talking about their gas to like talk about i know it. but like man let me tell you i knew somebody who was on soylent 1.0 he like man like almost lost it many times oh. <laughs> and Hold on. Before I even get into that, I want to read to you the most absurd part of, like, Dylan's entire account about Soylent. I actually think this is the great weakness of food. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> we use food as a cloak over social occasions whose true purposes are too embarrassing or emotionally naked to be clearly articulated. When you meet someone cute at a party, it's awkward to say hi. I'd like to have a long conversation, which we <laughs> we can each determine if we're potentially interested in becoming good friends and having sex regularly in the future. So instead you say, I want to grab dinner and assume they'll catch your drift. Similarly, if you're talking to someone who sounds smart and funny and you want to befriend in a platonic capacity, do you want to hang out and see if we actually like each other in a one-on-one -on -one setting enough to be friends who hang out a lot? is judged to be excessively honest, and so let's get coffee works instead. It's weird and dishonest and perpetrates the notion that it's somehow creepy to want healthy relationships with other people. What is he even talking is about? Is he a robot? <laughs> I mean, yes! Clearly, he's like a robot who can't even feed himself Soylent. Wow. I was just, like, vacillating between, between, like, laughing and being annoyed at the same time. Because I just, like, don't, yeah. I'm like, I don't understand what's going on. But after that, I read, I was, like, Googling, like, ladies who soylent. Because I just, I just, like, didn't believe that women could do this. I was, like, surely, like, we're, like, this is not possible. Wait, or, like, they're a very small number. Pause button. And I was. They say who's soylent. You say soylent like a verb. I'm, I, I'm oh, soylent. Yeah. I say, I say soylent okay. as a verb. Okay. That's not how they meant okay. it. But, you know, that's what they're Just checking. For. Sorry to interrupt. Lady soylent. Yeah, so lady, like, ladies who soylent. And I read this, like, other account of a woman in Silicon Valley, also, like, shocker, Silicon Valley engineer, who has been, like, taking soylent, and she, like, has been raving about how it's so much, you know, like, it's better for, it's better for her. And also, like, the, <laughs> the subject of her article is, like, freedom from food. And this is so fascinating to me. Like, people who think that, like, eating is like such a problem like feeding yourself three square meals a day um i will be honest that i worked at a place where we were fed three square meals a day and somehow it was definitely like easier but also it's not that hard what if pe like women who opt out of food using soylent are like the food equivalent of women who opt out of cleaning their house <laughs> <laughs> we should like try to court we should try to correlate this i don't know but yeah i mean listen like I I think that there is just such a vast middle ground between I cook myself elaborate meals every night using, like, a ton of, of obscure ingredients that I have to go to three different stores to purchase, and I put oil and powder and water in a blender. Like, there's just so much space between those things. It's just weird. No, there's so much space between those things. Especially, like, for Dylan, I wanted to, like, write him, and I probably should, about all the companies that are actually, like, in that space. Right. There's so you know like you, there's everything from like Blue Apron, which is like it's a that's like a little involved. You're actually like cooking a yeah, real but then meal. you get to Instagram and like you actually went to the store and cooked, which like I see <laughs> you on Instagram, Graham in your Blue Apron. Well, <laughs> well, no, because they tell you to like use the exactly. Um, so you know, so they're like the people who do that, and then there's companies like this other one called Forage. I think they just changed the name, where they basically like almost pre-cook everything for you, and all you have to do is like put it together. You know, so it's like literally. 
in, I don't know, like 15 minutes, you can cook yourself like a nutritious, delicious meal. I don't know, you know, I would be down for like Soylent and like food replacement if they made it taste not disgusting. I mean, the thing that really frustrates me about this is that like... I have a friend for whom cooking is, like, actually a burden, like, on her for various, like, health and lifestyle-related reasons. It's, like, legit a burden. It's not like she lives Mm -hmm. in a city where she can order any of this stuff in a replacement. Like, you know, she can't get Blue Apron. Um, There's, like, a million things like this where I'm sort of, like, you know, it just makes me angry to see someone who has all of these options be like, I'm driven to Soylent, (laughs) you know? Yeah, right. Like, some people have real problems. Yeah, exactly. Some people have, like, actual... No, like, this is how I feel about people, like, everybody who's gluten-free. And I'm like, trust me, when you have a fucking gluten allergy and your body is betraying you, you'll know. They're all liars. Yeah. Um, I just, like, can't with, like, garbage science. But this is so fascinating to me because, yeah, it's, like, people who see, like, food as a burden. And I guess, it, you know, like, it is expensive. It's a thing that you have to do for yourself. But, yeah, there's just, like, a... There are so many steps that I would take before I went the full soylent. This is insane. Do you, how much of it is just like the trendiness of it, though? Like in in sort I mean, of. But it's not cool. You know what no, I mean? but like the fact that it signals I work so hard or I'm I'm so devoted to my work that I can't even pause to eat. Like not this case, not this particular essay by someone who hates food, but like you know people who sort of who do have meals provided at work and they're like it's still easier for me to do this. I'm just so focused on coding right now or I whatever. I mean, I think I think that that's a huge part of it, right? Is control over your environment and over what you're doing and like economy of your own you know, like, accounting of your own time and motion. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that that's, that's definitely real. But this is also ridiculous. I was like, if you were going to Mars and you had to use Soylent, I would completely understand. Right. If you are doing this because you work at your fancy engineering job and you, like, literally cannot go to the cafeteria, like, that's madness. Agreed. So everybody who's telling you that, like, it's the end of food, like, don't believe them. Right. Yeah, the end of food is the California drought, not Soylent. Oh my god, we're all gonna die soon. Oh man, this is not on our agenda, but this like made me think, did you read that crazy New York Times article about the like Upper East or Upper West Side moms? Do you know what I'm talking about? I did. It was the Upper East Side. And (laughs) I feel like it was just, there was no data in it. I mean, well... Okay, wait, we have to explain it. (laughs) So this woman who like, she's an anthropologist, yes, and she's obviously writing a book, lives on the Upper East Side. Yeah, duh, that's the rich side on the Upper East Side and is chronicling the lives of rich women who have all like basically opted out of the workforce to become super mommies and the like privileges that come with that. Like a wife bonus? Yeah. So the wife bonus, (laughs) the wife bonus was like not crazy to me because I've heard of like push presents. So this is this happens when like again like women who are married to rich people when they have a baby like what do you get uh, like a woman I know got a Mercedes somebody else I wait 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 got a you know a ring. woman who received a Mercedes for giving birth 
and I don't want to go into the details of my insane family, but yes. Wow. <laughs> yeah, no, like, th- this is, like, not a thing that is, like, new or real. So I find, that I think that, like, the wife bonus is not, is not an insane extension from that. But again, there was no data, right? It's like, I don't know if this is literally, like, one hedge fund dude who is paying his wife and then that's, like, skewing the whole thing. But who knows? The thing, I guess the whole, the whole thing that, about the entire article that was that made me a little sad and that was really fascinating is just that these women are actually all like super educated, like MBAs, lawyers, and they all opt out of the workforce. And I'm convinced that that's why we're never going to achieve parity, because all of our like best and brightest are going to like are completely dropping off. I don't know. Again, like numbers wise, I'm sort of I have some questions and much like that. The original like opt out article was a pretty tiny group. I mean, obviously, like it is a real thing that sometimes women who are highly educated and on, you know, a corporate career track set to be the best and brightest, whatever that exactly means that those women sometimes opt out to become caretakers. But I just can't figure out, like, as a percentage of the problem, I don't know how great a factor it really is. I honestly don't. Well, I mean, I guess that, like, um, I don't have any of the... I should probably, like, Google this. Like, look at actual real numbers. I think that, like, if you look at, like, really heavily male businesses and, you know, like, whatever, like, creative classes... You tend to see that, like, the elite women, when they marry, they're the ones that are dropping out of the workforce. And that's a problem for achieving parity at those levels. Oh, for sure. I mean, I... Yeah. So it's like the pool... So even though, like, the pool is small, it's just... It's like this huge brain drain. But, you know, I'm just, like, being a rich, like, wife is a good hustle if you can get it. You know, like, I'm not going to knock anybody's hustle. But it's all, it's really weird because I feel like these articles come in waves also. This one was... It was not as judgmental as I thought it was going to be, but I really wonder how these women will feel in 10 years. Right. You know, or like the women I know who are getting these like push presents or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, this is great now. But like, I would be really, you know, like that seven up series. I'm like, I would be really curious to catch up with you like 10 years from now. And then 10 years after that and really see if, if the arrangement is as lovely as they thought it was because who knows. Right. And those are precisely the kind of careers that are tough to like get started again. Like I always get so sad when I hear about women who are like, like trying to like restart their careers after like more than a decade out, because I just feel like, and maybe this is just me being depressive about it, but I really just feel like the your chances for meaningfully like returning to a level of work that you'd been doing before are slimmer and slimmer. The most insane part of that article to me was like the segre- like, like how the men and women were segregated. <laughs> it's like there's dinner parties where like men and women eat separately because it's like easier or they prefer it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> this is New York City. You people are crazy. I don't know. Again, what percentage of the population? Like, even the New York population. I'm just a little bit like, is this no, one I know. I mean, tiny I'm, I'm sure that it's like very, yeah, it's like very tiny. It's like people who live on these blocks, but it's also like fascinating to see how the other half lives. Now I will have to check this book out of the library when it comes out. Oh, I'm sure you'll hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to somebody else about like the wife bonus and there was like a very contentious argument about like whether like wives should receive bonuses and I'm like I don't know man a bonus a bonus whatever your job is if your job is being a wife you should get that bonus yeah I mean it makes explicit a part of your you know personal arrangement that people like typically don't make explicit you know like it's like it's always like we share finances it's not like I get a stipend 
No, right? It's like, thank you for making this like very obvious. But I also think that in a weird way that could confer more agency. You're like, okay, I'm going to get my bonus and use it to like make a donation in my name and like buy a table at this luncheon or whatever. No, totally. Yeah. And I'm like, how is that? You know, like it's not a huge stretch from like negotiating a ball or prenup. Like, hello. Yeah. Always, always be looking out for yourself. Hmm. It's true. The real question that that I have is like, oh, like, well, so does that mean like even women who are not like have not quit their jobs to be full time super mommies, like, like you know, what kind of bonus are you entitled because of intrinsic sexism <laughs> or because you said no to an awesome promotion because your husband couldn't move because of his job or like you know, I'm sort of I'm thinking about. Um, I'm thinking about the uh, the other the other demands that are possible beyond the upper I know, east side. Right? But the thing about like you know, I guess like I don't have kids, but my fear with like all of these kinds of stories, and it's the same thing with like you know the initial like opting out article, like from I guess it's a decade ago now. Yeah, it's so maybe old. even longer is you know like is seeing like what you know like where are they now and i'm like then what happens to your like if your worth is tied to like raising children when the kids are gone what happens to like what you do yeah i mean and there's no there's no amount of like bonus or whatever that's going to make you feel good about that like once you know like that stuff i think it really depends though on like where you're at like my mom who quit her job to raise kids was not like groomed for a high power career that she you know felt she was really sacrificing like she was like oh yeah like this is the thing I really want to do and I actually feel like that's a totally different situation than someone who five years before having kids was like my career is everything to me you know what I mean yeah yeah no it's man life so beautifully complicated and weird I can't wait to read all the follow-ups slash rebuttals slash like I get a wife bonus and here's why it's awesome essays that are going to come out after (laughs) I mean, listen, getting a bonus is awome no matter what. Like, get yours, (laughs) boo-boo. That shit is is real. So I remember distinctly in a few years ago when you sent me the obituary for this woman, Sandra Bem, who um, was a researcher into gender roles. She, I don't know, her, her research was pretty fundamental to several Supreme Court cases yeah. related to um, related gender equality. Anyway, she, um, she actually, I feel like, let me look at the year. Hang on. Okay, so in tw- 2014, so just last year, you sent me her obituary. She was diagnosed five years prior with sort of super early stage Alzheimer's. And she decided then that she did not want to have her body outlive her mind. And she ordered some drugs to peacefully kill herself at home. And that's what she ended up doing. And the Times, the New York Times this weekend had sort of a long narrative story about how that choice actually worked in practice and how a lot of death with dignity laws actually have to do with the physical deterioration of the body. Like in Oregon, you need to prove that you 
would die anyway in a certain number of months, which obviously if your condition is Alzheimer's, like it will eventually kill you. But probably, you know, she would have lived for several other years with assistance. So she was basically like, I don't want my body to exist without my mind. And then it was like finding the right point in her mental deterioration so she could like end her life while she was still cognizant of what she was doing. It was an emotional roller coaster reading this article. Um, oh yeah, no. I mean, I like I cried. It was really intense. But also, just what an awesome woman. I mean, I don't know. I was really just like, I mean, because obviously the family agreed to have the story be told. It's like a pretty intimate recounting of what happened, and it just seemed really brave and like something I would probably want to do if I were in her situation, but don't know if I would have the same kind of follow through. And yeah, she just seems incredible. Like from the beginning of that article, I remember that she was watching this HBO documentary, The Alzheimer's Project. And I was like, I very vividly remember that documentary. Alzheimer's is one of my, um, you know, like top fears. Oh my God, me too. I I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, we've discussed this This is why we do the crossword. (laughs) Every Um, week without fail. I know, you know, but there's like diminishing returns, I heard. Um, It was just like really interesting to me, especially this question of, yes, like I'm going to do this. I'm going to take my own life. But like when exactly Mm -hmm. you do it. And that was really gut-wrenching to read about. Yeah, I mean, the other interesting dynamic of this story, which was sort of a secondary point, but she and her husband had divorced probably... 15 years prior yeah daryl but he he was sort of her her number one caregiver and friend and confidant through those last like five years when she was seriously ill and he was the person in the room when she took the medication to end her life yeah and i just thought that was a really interesting they had sort of portrayed themselves as a poster couple for an egalitarian marriage they were featured in the first issue of ms And then they ended up divorcing. And at the time of their divorce, she said that she didn't feel like it was an egalitarian partnership. And so I was so interested in the way that they maintained this friendship and this closeness and this bond. You know, I think it's a thing that like a lot of people talk about and it's still very taboo to to bring up, you know. And so I can understand like why they are so close, like because he's somebody who like he know you know like he knows her probably the best, and seeing her go through this when she's such a brilliant mind, like, basically a genius, that's just like knowing how hard that decision is, but also how resolute she is in making it. Like you need someone with you to do that, right? Right, and someone who has sort of been with you for a while, who can observe, like, oh, actually, this is fundamentally different than you were six months ago, than you were five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, one more thing to put on the list to worry about, (laughs) and, like, think about, and, do you know, like, not to make this about myself. But, yeah, I was just... You know, because it's it's always, like, a thing that I've always thought about. I was like, man, if I have Alzheimer's, like, I want to go, like, as soon as I, you know, like, become a burden or I'm too incapacitated or whatever. But I hadn't actually thought about the mechanics of it. Totally. And, yeah, and that's why this article is so good. It's, like, really, what does that mean in practice? And, like, what happens if you have lost a ton of your cognitive ability but you still seem kind of happy? Like, that that was an interesting thing, too. It's, like, happiness isn't actually the the sort of factor that this decision is based on or at least the the factor that she wanted to base it on 
Yeah, no, totally. And then like going about like getting the drugs with like pentobarbital as a controlled substance. Like, how do you get yeah. that? This was good job, New York Times Magazine. Seriously. I was. I, it's like I saw the cover and I was like, oh boy, this is. I know who this is, and this is going to like rip my heart in half. And it did. yeah, well, I mean, I had the same feeling, but also I was like, oh, I'm so glad someone is telling this story in depth because I, I had had this, I had the same feels, but like fewer of them when I read the obit, for sure. Yeah, it's it's like the the family is really amazing for doing this. Yeah, totally. Um. Do we want to end on a Shine Theory note that's less bummer? <laughs> yeah, sure. Serena Williams is on the cover of Vogue this month, looking incredible. Giving, like, the best, like, like self-empowered, composed, intense face. Like, not sort of model, like, I don't know. It's not model face, and I love it. And she is talking in the article about her competitor and friend. How do you say her name? I can't say it. Um, I mean, Anne, you can say it. Carolyn Watt. Hang on. I don't have the tab open. (laughs) (laughs) I love how I'm making you say it. Carolyn Wozniacki. Is that right? Yeah. Carolyn Wozniacki. Yeah. Anyway, so she, she says, she tells Vogue, we've discussed Serena's shine theory before, but she says to Vogue, let's just put an end to this myth that women players cannot be friends and competitors cannot be friends. And you know, that's part of like Serena's DNA. Her number one rival was her sister, and there's nobody that she loves more. You yeah. know, when you have to go home every day with the person that like you beat or beat you, I think that that gives you a really good sense of perspective about what's important. Right. Learn by doing. But <laughs> I, I know, right? But her and Carolyn Wozniak's friendship is incredible. I like well played, Shine Theory. <laughs> awesome. And really quickly, for this week in menstruation, everybody should watch the period fairy ad that we will link to. It's very cute. I won't even explain it because it's so cute. Yeah, you just have to watch it. And just know that the little actress's name is Amina. Um, So obviously we love her. Also on the Larry Wilmore show last week, there was an amazing, like, panel of ladies discussing periods. It was so good. We'll also link to that. Uh, You will die. It was, I mean, it's like, <laughs> I, I can't even, I can't even describe it. It's so good. It like ends with one of the women on the panel going, Larry, I'm bleeding right now. <laughs> best, best gif. <laughs> it's so, like the whole show. Is yeah, amazing. I love it. Thanks for listening. You can find us many places on the internet, callyourgirlfriend.com, on Twitter at callyrgf. In iTunes, where you can leave us a review and rate us. That would be awesome. And uh, also email. You can send us an email at callyrgf at gmail.com. See you on the internet.